Welcome to the Career Zone podcast, where each episode we spend some time focusing on something that's on students' minds right now. I'm your host, Rachel, Employability and Careers Consultant with the University of Exeter. You can catch up on all of our episodes by doing all of those subscribing and following things. We're on Spotify and iTunes. So hi, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your current role and your background? Yes, so uh, my current role is I'm a Department for Education Advisor for the Get Into Teaching Service. So I give advice to undergraduates, graduates and career changers who are looking or interested in a career in teaching. So I give them advice and coaching, if you like, or potentially applying for a teacher training course and, and hopefully successfully getting on to a course. My background is um, I was 15 years in education secondary and primary, started out as a history teacher and then finished my career with my second headship in a primary school only a couple of years ago. So very experienced over 15 years in teaching. So I imagine you're you're very experienced in hiring teachers, Dan. So what do you think are the key skills and attributes that are really needed to be an excellent teacher? Um, we look a lot and, you know, personality is fantastic because what, what I tended to look for when I used to sort of interview teachers was, um, you know, will, will they fit in? Will they into my school? Um, also, will, you know, the most important thing is will they teach the children as best they can, but also get on with them as well in terms of, you know, infuse them. So that's one of the key skills, really. It's that idea of being sort of empathetic, I think, is a really key one because, Children, as well as adults, don't they? They, um, you know, they like someone to be empathetic. Um, certainly, children do. Definitely, creativity is another one because you know you're there to basically infuse and teach, and you know you're trying to teach children a, a particular topic. You know, sometimes you have to be creative about that to to catch that enthusiasm. So, empathy and enthusiasm are the key ones for me confidence you just build anyway over time you know um, and everyone learns how to teach and you get taught to learn all those skills as well but they're the sort of key ones to me sort of empathy and creativity. What would you say to anyone who's perhaps listening to this podcast episode who's thinking about teaching but maybe isn't sure why do you think students should consider it as a possible career? One of the things that people often forget is that you do your degree in whatever it may be, and mine was history, and you think because you're teaching, you know, children as such, uh, but also young people, you know, up to up to the age of 18, you think you might not use that subject knowledge, but I would say it's actually the opposite because, you know, often you're teaching, you know, a whole spectrum, every top, you know, potentially you could be, um, teach every topic, and and actually trying to break that down some of these topics that are quite difficult or quite quite hard to understand it's actually quite a skill to be able to break that down for someone else to learn so that that is a fantastic thing and that leads on to sort of my second point which is one of my highlights i think is being able to use that subject knowledge to basically infuse children and get them to understand this light bulb moment they get when they they understand a really difficult topic also for people who are thinking about teaching who might not have got into it there's a whole range of skills that you learn you know including presentation time management you know you're working often to a busy schedule but you you learn those skills about preparing yourself uh, and certainly communication as well and that's something that you know has helped me when I've worked with adults later on 
is is often those same skills you will use where you know either in a meeting or when when you're doing some adult learning maybe later on so there's a whole host of skills you know it's a bit it's a busy career but it's so rewarding and so it's something that for people who think about teaching thinking is it right for me you, you will gain a lot of skills that maybe you know in the future if you wanted to change careers into business are transferable yeah and a great way to use your degree if you're very passionate about the subject so you've touched on on some of this but what would you say has been the best thing about being a teacher uh, one of them actually i mean there's so many i mean you know the obvious one is i've mentioned about the light bulb moment you know infusing children when you're teaching that that's fantastic you know especially because you will get a whole range of children that will get it straight away and, and so you have to challenge them uh, but one of the most rewarding I think is the children who don't quite get it they don't quite understand you know maybe, maybe a real technical term um, then using that sort of creative side or your teacher explanation to get them to understand it you know and you, the, the light bulb moment the other ones is working for me was always working with families you know often I worked in schools that you, you would say we're in disadvantaged areas. So getting children to succeed, you know, as you teach them through the years and watch them grow, working with the families to support them, those who may be struggling is a fantastic thing. There's the academic side, but I think for me, it was always the pastoral side as well and how thankful they are when they leave you. Big smiles on their faces and they've got the qualifications is uh, something that I will keep with me for the rest of my life, if you like. So that, that is definitely the most rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people working in careers guidance would echo some of those things that you've just said about supporting people's development and learning. So let's look at the flip side then, Dan. What about what's been most challenging? What kind of things stand out to you as being particularly difficult over the years? I, w- I would say probably the most challenging and, and certainly early on, but it, it, it sticks with you is, is maybe the sort of time management side. You know, it's an extremely, it is a very busy job, busy role especially if you've got five lessons to teach in a day, as well as maybe doing a parents' evening at night or maybe a meeting. And so, so that, it can be really, really busy. But what, what I would say is that over time, you learn to manage those times. Um, one of the great thing in teaching as well is that there's a lot of collaborative work. So teachers work together. And schools now even, I, I would say, you know, there's, there's health and well-being policies for the staff. For example, you know, emails get switched off at night in a lot of schools. So, you, you know, you don't have to carry that through. So there's been lots and lots of work that's happened around that sort of time management and workload. And it is still busy, you know, the workload, but there's so much support there now. And, and it's open for collaboration, like I was saying a minute ago. And I, I would say that's that's brilliant you know you will have others other teachers that will help you design a lesson or will give you some ideas so it's very much for the good of the children so I would say that was probably the most challenging but you get used to it like with lots of jobs really I think you you, and and there's so many rewards at the end of it that actually you you just have a restful weekend (laughs) you know that is the best bit (laughs) yeah and plenty of time off over the summer absolutely lots of holidays that's what they're there for Let's assume that our listeners are ready to actually look into becoming a teacher. What are the entry requirements for primary and secondary teaching in, in the UK? So in the UK, the simplest way of putting it is for primary teaching, you, you can have any degree, any honours degree with a GCSE at four or above or C or above in English, maths and science, where secondary is slightly different, where institutions tend to look for a degree that's related to the subject you're going to teach for for the obvious reasons that you know if you're going to teach history up to 18 
I'm just using my example, then having a degree of around about 50% of what you're going to teach is what a lot of institutions look for. GCSEs is maths and English, again, at level four or above or C or above. What I would say with the secondary side is, is there are some shortage subjects and there are some people who have done A-levels maybe related to it. So some institutions will look at that and will offer something called a subject knowledge enhancement course, which is free online. And it's for those students or those people who are looking to say teach a subject in secondary and may just need to get a little bit more knowledge around it. And like I said, they're offered for free and the institution would talk to you about that. Great. So there is some flexibility there, but there, there are some basic requirements that most of our students, I would think, will be able to satisfy and meet. What are the main entry routes into teaching, Dan? So you have two sort of main routes. You have, we, we call it the non-salary route, which, which is where you would learn at either a higher education institution like a university, or you can also learn through a school. And that's where you would be teaching a subject either at the school for a lot of the time, maybe 80% of the time, and then you'd be doing about 20% doing some sort of theory around that. But there is also, even though we don't technically call it a salaried route now, but there is a route that you can go in with a salary, which can be helpful for some people, where the school directly, if you like, employs you or has received money from the government to give you an unqualified teacher rate while you train. So they're the two kind of main routes in, so non-salaried, which, which are more of them, and salaried. A lot of our students will be familiar with Teach First, and that's quite different, isn't it? Because it's a graduate scheme. So would that be within one of the salaried routes that you were talking about? And how common are those other ones? The non-salaried routes are the most common, just because there's more courses. What I would say is that within secondary some subjects like the STEM subjects and some of the others which you can find on the website get into teaching those come with a bursary so even though you're it's a non-salary route so a 12-month route to to learn to be a teacher some of the shortage subjects students can actually get a bursary which will cover the fees of the university or school that's of a non-salary and and for some subjects like maths the bursary is quite significant so we'll give you the remainder of what's left uh, will be broken down into 10 monthly installments, which are tax-free for students. So that kind of helps with the driving to schools and also living as well. You don't have to apply for the bursary in those subjects. Once you've been accepted on a course, whether it's at a university or a school, doesn't matter either way, then that bursary will be automatically paid to the institution and you will get the money that's left over if if there is some. With the salary route, as you mentioned, Teach First, is a slightly different route. It's a two-year program. Very much the first year is is the same as the other salary routes where you, you basically learn to, to be a teacher and you pass the teaching standards and you get a qualified teacher status at the end, which is what you want. Now, with Teach First, you're in the classroom a lot more from day one. The reason it's a two-year course is they concentrate on leadership skills in the second year. Also with Teach First, you basically apply to Teach First. It's, it's um, you know, a, a great program if, you, if you're interested in leadership. It is competitive, but you can be placed in any school because they're a, a charity that works with disadvantaged areas, if you like. Uh, you could potentially teach anywhere in, in England for that two years. So you're employed to the school for those two years, but you are getting a salary. And, you know, so you get that salary and experience. The other salary routes tend to be 12 months. 
you get a salary from the school and you can still get something called a PGCE as well with these routes. So the simple difference between qualified teacher status, which everyone needs to get, that's the golden ticket you need at the end of each one of these courses, it doesn't matter. But the only slight difference with a PGCE is that you will do some more sort of university theory work even if you're based in a school or a university, it doesn't matter. And you do get a certificate and all it gives you is some credits towards a master's in the future. So with teaching, the great thing is it doesn't matter which route you go, you will still get your QTS, which is your license to teach. But some people like to do some more theory. So maybe we'll do the PGCE. I see. So all our students, if they're interested in teaching, will need that qualified teacher status, but it's how they actually obtain that that is up to them. And it sounds like there's a lot of flexibility depending on the location that they're looking in or their preference for for training and how much time they want to be in a school. I think from my experience, a lot of students really find it difficult to choose between those two, the two main routes that you said about where you can either spend a lot of your time initially, at least in a university or spend your your first few months actually in a school and that be the start of your training. What advice would you give to anyone who's unsure about which of those two routes or two different programmes is best for them? One way is you can talk through all of these with with someone like myself, who you know we've got a team of advisors. But for for the students and graduates who I speak to, I go through all the questions as you sort of alluded to there. Things like location, because sometimes people need to be in a geographical region within the UK, so there might be less courses there. But I think I think the key one for me is that there's a search engine on the Department for Education website, which you can. It's called Explore PGCE or Postgraduate Teaching Qualifications. And what that does nicely is it will search in an area, but will give you all of those different routes I've talked about. So my, my main advice would be to use that search engine and you can get to that through the Get Into Teaching website too. There's a straight link to that is look for your geographical area and the subject you might be interested in. And then each of those courses are broken down. So it will tell you how much time you will be in a school, for example the kind of support that you'll get, you know, and what, like you were saying there, you know, whether how much of your time will be in the school or in the university, it will give you that information on the search. And what I advise the students is there's no, there's no right or wrong way. You get to the end goal, which is a qualified teacher status, but do it as a personal choice for you. Have a look at which one would you fancy more? Do you like the idea of working straight in a school being in that school environment, you still do some theory work as well. Or do you like the university? You know, a lot of my students I speak to enjoy the university lectures and then going into school for their placements. With any of the systems, you will always get a mentor, you will always get support within the school. Uh, So the support side will always be there for both routes, but it's more just what's a personal choice for you. Okay, that's really useful. Thanks for clarifying that. Okay, so how do students actually apply for teacher training? So once you've been through the search engine and you've found maybe a course that's near to you or or that you find appropriate, basically October of each year, the courses are updated for the following year. So you're always a year ahead. So it tends to be early October and then a week later, the application process is open. So they're quite close together, all in the October side. So what a lot of students do is they start to search, you know, get the ideas, all those things I've said to you about where you might want to teach, what you want to teach. And then they will do that search when it's updated the year before. 
And then the application process is actually fairly simple in terms of it's one personal statement. You log on to apply for teaching and it's very simple in terms of just putting a name, you know, all those sort of bits address. But the actual application process is similar, I suppose, maybe to UCASP. You have up to a thousand words personal statement that you write and you can get advice for that from one of us as advisors. And that's really a simple, why do you want to teach? You know, what, what's your interests and things like that. And that could, that's up to a th between 500 and 1,000 words. And that is used basically to send out to each institution or school that you're applying to. They get the same application, which is your personal statement. And you can apply for up to four institutions. You might only want one. It doesn't matter. You send that off a bit like UCAS, and then you'll hear back from the institution. Usually there's an interview process. And that's really the format in the most simple way you can put it. What can the interview process look like? Uh, I've had some students that are a little bit worried about that aspect of their application. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the sort, sort of main components, I would say. Um, and often the institution will, well, they will, they will let you know, you know, obviously once they've given you the date of the interview, they, they will let you know the process and what's in there. But the sort of core components that you'll get there is maybe a presentation, you know, a short presentation you might give to a panel or maybe to other students there. And that's kind of just seeing how you are standing in front of people. And but just remembering at this point that we're, we're everyone's new at the beginning. You know, you, there's people who have had no experience of that or, or you know, there might be some who've worked as TAs before. It, it doesn't matter. But it, it tends to be a presentation, um, an interview with the panel. And that will be around, you know, why do you want to come a teacher and and thinking about your own personal interests and what you've done in the past as well. You've done some volunteering, whatever it may be. There's sometimes a literacy and numeracy task, and they tend to be sort of mental maths or um, for the literacy, maybe summarizing some information. And that's there. Some institutions just want to see that you could, you know, you're able to sort of do those things, the basic mental maths. And uh, it's not like A-level maths or anything like that, um, but it's kind of just mental maths and, and just seeing what you're like, maybe with written communication is about the best way of putting it. So they're the kind of main components of it. So presentation, interview, and maybe a task or two to do with numeracy or literacy. You mentioned about the personal statement, Dan, and you said that one of the main things that students would need to explain is why they're applying for teaching. But you didn't mention anything about teaching experience. So do students need to have teaching experience before they apply? How important is that? Well, we call it, yeah, we call it school experience. And I think it's important if you're going to something like teaching to at least know which age range you want, for example. Um, so I often say to some of my students who are looking at teacher training, a lot of them, to be quite frank, have had school experience. It might be volunteering even with a youth group or a club leader. I've got a whole host of things or even volunteering over the summer, you know, abroad, whatever it may be. The main thing is, I think if you've got experience or whether it's tutoring, it could be any of those things. It's, I think it's easier to answer a question about why do you want to teach and the age range if you've been into a school before, you've volunteered with young people so you know what young people are like because they are different, we all get older and you know and things like that. Um, so I do often recommend that you get some sort of experience with young people. There is a school, again, on the Department of Education, there is a school experience search engine so if you're finding it difficult to find some experience you you can search for schools that have offered for people to go in some of my students i say you know one of the best things to do is go back to your secondary school because they know you and go 
is there any chance I can come in for a day or two? And I would say a lot of the people I coach and mentor have done that. So the main one for me is that getting some experience with young people in whatever format possible, volunteering or going to school, I, I believe is important because it helps you decide two things really. Do I want to teach? <laughs> Do I want to teach? You know, what's teaching look like? But also it helps with the age range. You know, I get students who go, oh, I don't know if I want to teach primary, if I want to teach secondary. So actually going into a primary, even if it's for a day or, you know, a bit longer and doing the same with secondary often makes people go, oh, yeah, I think I, I like the older children to teach or no, actually, there's a lot of people on our team who have changed and gone, well, actually, I, I really liked the primary. I'll look at that. So it's those experiences, I think, just help you as an individual decide which way. Absolutely. We're, we're always for students getting experience in whatever format that takes to test out their ideas and things that they feel drawn to. So that's really good advice. Thank you, Dan. And a lot of our listeners will be aware of Aspiring Educators, which is a programme that the Career Zone runs, which is specifically aimed at University of Exeter students interested in teaching or education as a career in the future. And we offer lots of really great opportunities to gain experience in those areas um, through the Aspiring Educators programme. So I will put a link to that particular programme below and the resource that Dan mentioned as well. So once students have qualified as a teacher, what career progression opportunities might be available to them? Yeah, I'd say this is often the misunderstood area. I think where teaching can often be seen as you're a classroom teacher and then maybe a deputy head and a head teacher, you know, is the only route you can go. But actually there's a wide range of progression opportunities. So if your passion becomes teaching and learning and being in the classroom, then you can do lots of funded courses and level seven courses that the government pay for, for you to specialize around that area. So, and, and you can go into leadership of that as well and help other teachers coach and mentor them in teaching and learning. You know, I mentioned before that I, I did enjoy the pastoral route. So if you'd like the idea of families and working with families and children like adults we go, go up and down with their mental health if you're really interested in that area the pastoral side there's there's roots into that as well so you can go to leadership opportunities of pastoral as well I, I was also a special educational needs coordinator so that you know a lot of my graduates actually now I'd say more in the last of the year or two have said Dan you know I'm really interested in special needs school and children you can specialize in that way and get a and you can start out as a teacher and then specialize in special needs and you, you, you can do a course in that and then you can help children you know with a variety of needs in that way uh, there's also leadership of other aspects like behavior there's leadership of people obviously as well the the common one so and i've done all of these routes and i was very interested in leadership and so i went through the pastoral but then also did the leadership of teams so you could be a subject leader if you're in secondary school uh, you can be a subject leader actually now within primary school as well, which is great if you enjoy working with groups of teachers. So, so there's so many different routes and there's so many different opportunities. And these also come with pay progression as well. So there's opportunities where you can get something called a teaching and learning. It's called a TLR and it's, it's an extra bit of money you get each year if you have a responsibility. And that can be in anything from what I've just mentioned there. So leadership of subject to pastoral to to leadership of staff as well. You know, some people love data, so they go into that angle. If you're, if you're very good at, you know, you, you like putting together things, you can, uh, I did do short time as a data manager as well, really, really enjoyed it. And so all these skills build up 
as well as people skills. There's so many different areas that are paid that uh, often people don't really see. They just see sort of assistant head, deputy head, but those can be assistant head of pastoral, deputy head of data, you know, deputy head of, of subject leads. CPD is a great one. So you're providing training for your staff. That could be your sole role and obviously teaching and learning as well. So there's just so many different angles that you can do. Yeah, it really does sound like you grow into the role and learn what interests you without having to nail that down in your training year or years. Okay, so you've mentioned about getting to teaching and that is a fantastic resource that we signpost a lot of our students to. Can you just say a little bit more about getting to teaching and the website? What kind of support is on offer to students through that platform? Yeah, so the website Getting to Teaching will summarise really, really nice and easy all those things, I've kind of lots of things I've mentioned there. And so you can look at the different steps for applications, even if you're just generally interested or you think, would my degree suit this? Um, and it will also signpost you to those different search engines. Also, as part of that, um, some people think that they would like some more help and guidance. And we're, we're a team you know, within DFE. We're all ex-teachers. A lot of us are ex-leadership as well. We have, you have to have a certain amount of, of years within schools. The great thing is when you, you can sign up for an advisor on the website, and it doesn't matter if you're just thinking, I'm quite interested, but I'd like to know a little bit more. Then you know, we have conversations, you know, have chats on the phone or emails. And what the great thing is with advisors is you can explore teaching before you think about applying for it and you can can ask what I say to people is nothing's a dumb question you can just ask us all those things and we'll just be very honest with you you don't say yes this is how you do it to then to some more those technical questions when you get up to the application side we can give you support through looking at your personal statement giving you some advice on that when you get a interview we can also offer you advice on that as well And what we do is that the team will take you from that sort of exploring teaching side all the way through the application to the point of hopefully you get accepted and you've got the course that you want and we all clap and celebrate. So it's a it's a full pipeline, if you like, of support that's available to you for that. You can ask all the questions you like and also get the technical ones, too. Brilliant. And we should also make it clear if we haven't said already that that is completely free, isn't it? So students, graduates don't need to pay anything. It's totally free and really comprehensive. So fantastic support package available to anyone that's thinking about teaching or knows that it's for them and just has some specific questions that they want answered. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting hearing about your own career. And thank you so much for sharing all your tips and advice on everything to do with teaching. Hi, Luke. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you just introduce yourself and uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about your role at the university? Yes, indeed. So my name is Luke Graham. I am the lead for secondary subjects at the University of Exeter. So that's the main subjects that we run national curriculum subjects across English, MFL, PE, history, science, which is also the one that I lead, and mathematics. And what teacher training courses are on offer at the university? So the university offers primary and secondary. I think most training providers will expect applicants to have decided whether they want to teach primary students or secondary students. So there's a lot of similarity between different providers in terms of how their courses are arranged. So at Exeter University, we've got our suite of secondary subjects, which are those that are affiliated to the national curriculum subjects. 
and then we run primary subjects but we tend to run those across two phases so we've got a phase which allows people who are more interested maybe in the younger primary end to come and train and then we've got another phase which is the upper end of primary so applicants would apply for a, a primary generalist role at a particular age phase and then we've got various additions and bolt-ons that they can choose in that primary route or if they're applying for a secondary place then they would apply for a particular subject and they would spend all of their time teaching that particular subject. Fantastic and what are some of those bolt-ons that students can choose? So the primary course what we're trying to do is obviously the, the wonders of primary is that you get to spend lots of time with your group of students but that as a consequence means you have to be able to teach lots and lots of different subjects. So you might be doing Tudor songs in the morning and then an hour later looking at maths. So we know that, that different people will come to these primary courses with different strengths in terms of their subject knowledge backgrounds. So we've got a, a, a massive list, actually, of different things that different students can do. So sometimes you might think about taking a particular a career route where you want to become a subject leader. So it might be that you're particularly strong in mathematics. And so you're thinking about becoming a subject leader in, in mathematics. It might be that you've got interests in a particular group of, of students and supporting particular students with particular needs. So you might want to move down an SEND route. So within those primary programmes, we've got lots of different sort of routes through the programme that all give you QTS. So you'll all get to teach primary at the end, but it will help those students who are thinking about where they would like their teaching career to go to get a foothold on that on that ladder. And certainly one of the things that Exeter teacher training across both phases is, is really well regarded for is that we produce teachers who are ready to teach and who make really good progress in schools. So we've tried to enrich our programmes with notions of leadership, notions of, of curriculum management to help our trainees to develop into not just somebody who's going to pass the course, but somebody who can go into a school and really enrich that school and improve the chances of the young people that attend it thinking more around secondary now how important is it that students will have a relevant undergraduate degree for the subject that they wish to teach it is really important I mean it, it, it's the it's the the burning question really is between where is where is the line between your subject content and your capacity to be able to deliver material and there's a lot of good research that says that in order to be a good teacher I'm going to pick up science as an example in order to be a good teacher of science it's more than simply knowing about science. You also have to know how to teach science. So I'm a science specialist. My background is a science teacher. If I went into a English lesson, although I may have read the book, I would find it really difficult to teach because I just don't have that pedagogical knowledge. I don't have that understanding of how to teach literature to people of that age. I could do it every day in science. So there's, you've got to be familiar with your material. But we also recognise that some people have done non-traditional routes and we want to encourage diversity in, in the applicants and we also want to encourage diversity within schools. So for particular subjects, and those are the shortage subjects of so MFL, science and mathematics, there are facility to be able to do a course before you start your teacher training. And those courses are called subject knowledge enhancements. We love an acronym, so we call those SKEs. So if you're somebody perhaps with a an A-level in mathematics or you've done a degree that was partially scientific, so quite commonly it would be people with an environmental science degree or a sports science degree, where they've done some science content but they might not have done chemistry or physics, then they can apply early and then we can recommend that you do this SKE course, which is a government funded course, so there's a bursary available. But that just means that when you start your teacher training with us, you're on a much more secure footing in terms of your subject knowledge. 
And there's nothing quite as terrifying as knowing that you've got to teach year 12 or year 13 on a part of the specification that you haven't done for 10 years. So, so having that having that confidence, I think, is really important to know that what you're doing now is thinking about how am I going to structure the learning in the classroom rather than do I really know the difference between energy and power? Good to know that there are those options to maybe build on that knowledge and that confidence Absolutely. for certain and, subjects at secondary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I certainly, you know, if, if you have a look at the cohort within maths or cohort with science or the cohort with, within MFL, it is made up of a very broad range of people, broad range of ages, broad range of experiences, and quite a lot of them have made uh, have made good use of those subject knowledge enhancement courses to get them ready to start that course. And just to clarify, when you say MFL, do you mean? I um, mean, sorry, modern languages. foreign languages. Yeah, yes, yeah. German, yeah. French, Spanish, those sorts of languages. So can you tell us a little bit more about how the course extra is structured? Yes, you'll notice that, that when applicants are looking at different courses, that basically all teacher training courses have got the same components. So all teacher training courses have got elements in the classroom, observing practice, getting feedback on practice and delivering. And they've got elements that take place outside of the classroom. And in the main, the number of days spent on each of those elements is pretty much the same. So in some training providers, they'll do four days in the school and then they'll have a fifth day, which is their day out of classroom when they're doing their, their non-classroom work. In Exeter, we tend to structure our courses. So we have a first term where we basically we read the manual. We go through, we look at behaviour management, we look at how you structure lessons, we look at different theories of learning, we look at how you support students from, from various different backgrounds. Because we want you to be ready when you go to school with a really good understanding of, of the craft of teaching. So Exeter course is structured slightly differently to some other courses in that the first term is quite heavily weighted in being placed at university, but there will still be substantial school placement in there. So you're still going to be doing, in some cases, four weeks of school placement within that first term. And then our second term and our third term, so from January onwards, tends to be far more heavily dominated in school with a far more realistic teaching timetable so that you're teaching across five days, you're, you're having an opportunity to see the groups in the timetable as you would do if you were a teacher, and you'll be slowly increasing the amount of contact time that you have with classes as you move across those different placement opportunities. And, and common with all teacher training providers, you have to provide two different placements. So in, in Exeter, those two placements would basically break across the across the term. So you'd have term two from January to March would be in your first placement. And then your second placement would be from Easter until the end of the summer term. So June, end of June, we tend to finish. And those, you know, the, you'll notice when you when you look across the different providers that there are similarities. They'll talk about the two placements. They'll talk about the time in those two placements. And they'll talk about the balance of where you spend time and where you spend your university time. And one of the real benefits, I think, for the University of Exeter is that we get our students together. So when I'm teaching my scientists, there'll be 30 or 40 scientists in a room and they're all doing a science PGCE and we're all looking at the same sorts of topics. In some of the smaller providers, I know they struggle to be able to provide that facility because you might be the only scientist in the school that's training and you'll be in with an English person, a history person, somebody teaching PE. So there's, there's lots of different models. And I think for... It's really important for prospective teachers to think about what's the best training model for them, because it is quite a complicated landscape in terms of the different ways that different providers choose to offer teacher training or teacher education. And what are some of the things from your perspective that you think students could reflect on or consider in order to help make that choice? 
there's, there's lots of strands to that question. So one of the strands is about it being sustainable for you. So you, you need to make sure that you're engaging in a year of what's going to be quite a hard training in terms of time commitment in a way that's going to keep you healthy. And what we don't want is trainees setting themselves up for something that ends up either being so difficult that they can't complete it or, or has a detriment on their mental health. So thinking about, is it going to be sustainable for me to be able to get to the provider and get to the training and get to the school? And so providers like, like the University of Exeter, what we, we've got a regional model so that you can apply to the region so that you can be confident that you're not going to be having to travel a long distance between one placement and another placement or between one placement and, and, and your training provider. So a really good idea about where am I going to need to be and what, what's the time commitment in terms of what time do I need to be there, what time am I going to leave? The second big question, having decided whether you want to teach primary or secondary, is whether or not you think you're capable of teaching now. Could you step in in September and take a full-time class of, of students? So for some people with lots and lots of experience in schools, they feel that they're they're ready. They're basically ready to step in in September. I think most teacher trainees don't. Most teacher trainees will be terrified of the idea they're going to teach 25 hours from the day they start. So again, thinking about Am I ready to, to apply to a school and go for an employed route where the school employs me and I'm working for the school? Or do I want to be a trainee in, in a university or in another training provider? I think then the, the next set of, of considerations are around, is this institution the sort of institution that I feel I'm going to be able to work with people who are going to complement what I want to get out of teacher training? So if you think that what you would like is to work with members of staff who are experienced in that subject or whether you want to work with people who are involved in research around that subject have a look at, at the people that are going to be doing the course with you could you imagine yourself spending a year with these sorts of people are there the sorts of people that are going to provide you with enriching discussions and conversations around the art of, and craft of teaching so i think those sorts of questions are also important and the final thing is to make sure that your provider is going to give you the time that you need to do to do the additional work. So things like the PGCE, which is the academic qualification, how is that woven into the course? How is how are you supported in the writing of that academic work? I think particularly for students that come out of subjects like the sciences and arts, where they haven't done a lot of assignment writing, sort of social science assignment writing, that can be quite a bit of a, a, a transition. They're used to doing graphs and tables, and now they're being asked to write essays. So thinking about what's the assessment structure there how am i going to be assessed for that pgce and will that be something that i'm going to get support for when i when i'm completing my pgce alongside my qts and i think i think for most of our trainees they come to exeter we run open days we encourage people to come and visit come and meet the staff come and meet the other prospective students and they go away from those open days with a really clear idea as to whether or not we're the sort of provider that would enable them to be really successful and, and then for other trainees they'll go into other providers and they'll think now this is the sort of situation this is the sort of setup that would work well for me but I think going at that with a really analytical lens and trying to be as, as you know almost as detached as possible come up with a spreadsheet of, of the things that are going to be important and will this provider provide it and will that provider provide it uh, and, and the last piece of advice really is to get your applications in early, because in some courses they do fill up their places. And if you're applying for a course where we think you're going to need a subject knowledge enhancement, then you might have to need six months to develop your subject knowledge. So getting those applications early so that you've got a really good chance of, of starting the course when you want to get onto the start of the course, I think is also very helpful.
Brilliant tips there. Thank you, Luke. So you touched on um, applying there and that applying early is, is really key, particularly for some subjects. Are there subjects generally acro across the board that, that are really competitive and receive a lot of applications? What are they? They are. So usually those subjects that don't receive a bursary are those subjects that are, that, that are most popular. So the bursary is, is an incentive scheme to encourage applicants to the, the more difficult to recruit subjects. So you tend to see far more applications for primary. We tend to see far more applications for subjects like PE, where we've got quite a large graduate pool and teaching provides a, a good route in terms of career route. For science and maths, the graduate pool, you think of the number of physicists who graduate each year, it's quite a small pool and teaching represents one of the many of different career options that they would take. So at, at the moment, the DfE apply system will show you whether or not there are places on the course, but it will just tell you whether there's places or not. It won't give you like a, a, a star system that tells you how close they are to, to being full. So I think if, in, if you're thinking about applying for teacher training, then it's a really good idea to contact the institutions that you're interested in finding out what their open days are, and they will be doing them early in the cycle. So the cycle opens in October, and we do our open day, our first open day we do right at the beginning of October, and then we'll do them again throughout the year. So get in, meet the meet the providers, meet the meet the other staff. We will always have former trainees there that you can talk to honestly about how they're finding their course at the moment. Those 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 sorts of conversations. The way that the, the systems generally work is that providers have a number of places in different subjects, and when they meet that capacity, then they stop. And that might be because that's the number of places they've been given by the DfE. Or it might be because that's the number of really good school placements that they can offer. We know that we can offer you know, 250 really good placements across the region. And when we get to that number, we're going to stop placing students. If you are maths or science or modern foreign languages, MFL, then generally providers will have capacity to take more because those are the hard to recruit subjects. But I think it's still worthwhile applying early because those are the subjects that we said before that give you the enhancements or the possibility of doing an enhancement. So you can apply early and then you can start in nine months time with or without your subject on the enhancement. But you'll know you'll know that that place is there and ready for you when you start in September. I think there's no reason not to apply. We're, we're never offended <laughs> by people who apply early and then say, do you know what? I'm going to withdraw my application and apply again next year. That's that, you know, we're, we're not stilted boyfriends sitting outside crying. We want you to apply in a sustainable way and so we want through part of this conversation with you if you come and say look actually i'm not sure whether i should be applying this year or next year the funding changes the bursary changes the rules change from one year to the next so we will give you advice that is relevant to the time that you apply and tell you what we know at the time that you apply but it might be that actually the best thing for you to do is to to finish whatever work you're doing now get some experience in school for a couple of months and then start in the following year we're not trying to sell people cars. You know, we want we want people to to be involved in a dialogue that allows them to be the agent that decides whether or not this is the right course for them. And we would never encourage somebody to do a course with us if we didn't feel that we were the right provider for them, if we felt that they would be better suited by somebody else. And we would always make that recommendation. So it really is a dialogue between the provider and, and the applicant to try and make sure that the course that they're applying to is going to meet their needs because of the diversity of different providers in, in the region. We would rather have a really good teacher in a year's time teaching in schools than an applicant on a course that wasn't the right course. Absolutely. So, Luke, thank you so much for all of your advice there. I know that students and graduates will find that really, really useful. I know you've mentioned open days that the School of Education runs. Where can yep. students find out more? 
So if they go on our website, there is a special teacher training website with all the open day information on it. You can pre-register, which will send you the information about the open days, but all the dates, the times are there. I'll be there because I do the chat at the beginning. The tutors will be there to meet you as well. The uh, There are some people who will register and express an interest and won't be able to make that open day, but then we can send you the information that, that we would send to all the people that, that have come to that open day. You'll also find the contact details for the different leads for the different subjects. So if you've got a particular subject that you're interested in and you've got a particular question about how that course runs, then you can ask that that subject lead and they will do their best to answer your question for you specifically about that course. Thank you so much, Luke. You've been no, thanks, really, Sarah. really a great guest and hope you have the, a good rest of your autumn term. This was the Career Zone podcast brought to you by the University of Exeter Career Zone. Check out iTunes and Spotify to keep up with all of our regular releases. And if you'd like us to cover something else in another episode, just send us a message, hashtag careerzonepodcast at UOE Career Zone or at UOE Cornwall Career Zone on Instagram, and we'll follow up in one of the next episodes.